Hello, and welcome to Sweet Safe Sleep, the podcast with me, Jennifer Foley, a pediatric sleep consultant and mother of two, where we talk all things sleep and sleep safety for you and your littles. I am so glad to have you here today, and I am very excited to be bringing the very first episode of this podcast to you, and I do hope you take away something useful. It is my mission to get babies and toddlers sleeping safe and sound so that families can get the rest they need and have the peace of mind that comes with knowing their child is out of harm's way as they dream. There's an important topic I want to share with you today, and it's something that I think is not really talked about enough in this space. These are things that I think are honestly pretty necessary before the word sleep training even leave your lips, at least if you want things to go a bit smoother for you overall. And the reason I'm zeroing in on this is because so often by the time the words sleep training are being spoken aloud, it's out of desperation and exhaustion. You aren't thinking clearly and you want the solution now. Or you might find yourself narrowing in on one specific problem when there may actually be a whole cascade of events that are the real culprit behind the poor sleep. So we want to talk a little bit about preparing for sleep training and thinking about sleep training a little bit in advance of actually doing it so that we're not being rash in any of our decisions and we're not acting out of desperation, that we have the tools in our tool belt to actually have it go the way that we hope that it would. And so today I want to break down the five must-haves prior to sleep training that will give you the best chance for success. So this first one is pretty straightforward and that's tracking the schedule. We don't want to do this super loosely because that won't tell us anything. We do want some details here, but also don't feel pressured into doing some color-coded Excel document either. This can be simple notes that answer specific questions. I'll break some of those down for you here. We're looking for things like, when did the baby wake up in the morning? Or the toddler for that matter. When was that first nap and how long was that first nap? How many naps are being taken in a day? What is bedtime? When are they first waking up in the night? Are they waking up a second time, a third time, and so on? We want to know how long those wake-ups are and what you're doing to get the baby back down each time this happens. You'll want to do this for a while. A week is probably fine. That's probably enough. And this will give you valuable information for what to focus on and give you the bigger picture of what's going on in general. Most of us skip this step because, like I said, we want the answers now, right? But the answers tend to come when we look at everything in its entirety, Many sleep consultants will ask you to do this, at least to some degree, asking you to recall what sleep looks like for you. And so you're only opening yourself up for more success if you actually have the accurate data in your hands. From here, it's much more possible to say, okay, 
based on the amount of time that the baby is sleeping and staying awake between naps, they're likely undertired or overtired. Maybe we need to look at shifting the bedtime. Um, it could be a number of different things, honestly, but at least some of the guesswork will be taken away. So here's the thing. Sometimes, sort of riding on the coattails of what I was just saying about desperation, we're just done. We're spent. And we want to snap our fingers and everyone just go to sleep. But even a short bedtime routine can make a huge difference. So that brings us to number two, which is evaluating your bedtime routine. I think the word routine can make some people shudder. They don't think that they have the time for it. They think it needs to be some big involved thing. Um, Maybe the idea gets some of you giddy. I don't know. But I do think that we can really get in our heads about this. When we talk bedtime routine, it's important to remember that this is nothing complicated. It's brushing teeth putting on our PJs, reading a book, and having some snuggles. It's not long. It's less than a half an hour and maybe even 10 minutes for a baby in that first year of life. And for a baby, this can be as simple as having some milk, putting on a sleep sack, cuddling while singing a lullaby, and then going to bed. It's really the repetition here that sets up that mental signal that it's time for bed. It's much less about the actual steps that you're taking to get them there. The best part about this is that it's never really too early or too late to start something like this. Whether you have a newborn or you already have a toddler that is two years old. The only thing I will say, and this is just a bit of advice having been there, is that once your child is older and can actively participate in the routine, the quickest way for it all to backfire is to say, are you ready for bed? Kids typically really don't want to go to bed. So it might be better to say something like, hey, let's get those sugar bugs off your teeth and let's pick out which cool PJs you're going to wear tonight. Once they become toddlers, giving some sense of choice can be the difference between a tantrum and cooperation. For this next one, I truly cannot emphasize it enough, and that is getting support. This support can look like a lot of different things, the most important being that you get the support of your partner and you align with your partner on sleep ideals. Have the conversation and figure out how you can help each other out. Coming home from the hospital or the birthing center, wherever you were, and feeling like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders is the recipe for burnout. And even getting into potentially dangerous situations with your baby. Talk about shifts. Get on the same page about where the baby will be sleeping What is the game plan for the middle of the night when things get hard? What are your feelings on crying? Then, when you are both at least somewhat familiar with the methods that are available for sleep training and can agree on the areas you're comfortable exploring, it becomes a better process overall. Plus, if you have other caretakers in your life, 
perhaps you have a caretaker in place of a partner helping you out, it's so beneficial to have this conversation with them. What we don't want is for you to be introducing a completely different style into the mix that only leaves the baby confused because not everyone's on the same page, not everyone's following the same rules that you've put into place. And if you do go down the road of sleep training, of course, while no one can support you quite like a sleep consultant, there may be perhaps a family member, a friend, or even someone on social media that has been there before. So when you seek out someone who has been where you are and made it over to the other side, gaining that perspective and having an ongoing dialogue with them about what's bothering you and what you're trying to work through, this can all make a huge difference in reaching your sleep goals. So speaking of Reaching our sleep goals, that brings us to number four, which is consistency and commitment. I've combined these because they really play into each other so much. If we think about consistency, that means looking at your reality and figuring out if it's the right time for sleep training. Are you taking a trip in the next few weeks? Are you bringing new childcare on board? Does your child appear to be coming down with a nasty cold? We want to look at the next few weeks or even the next month and see if we can keep things fairly consistent for our children in that time and make sure that there aren't factors that would hinder positive progress. And then from a commitment standpoint, That's asking yourself if you can stay home completely for a few days to make the sleep training your priority. Can you commit to making the necessary changes to actually see progress in this area? This may look like trying techniques that move you away from your usual approaches. And so you have to ask yourself, am I ready to be open-minded enough to try a completely new way of doing things? So number five, this is actually an often overlooked step, but I think one that is crucial to your overall success, and that is looking around at the tools you've been using, the swings, the docketots, the nursing pillows, and ensuring you have the right perspective on these. If you're still pregnant or are in the very early stages of buying products or putting together your registry, I do have some advice on this. Personally, I would leave the Dakota off entirely. This is a brand new thing, something parents didn't use for decades and decades and decades and were absolutely fine without them. I would also leave off the swing if you do intend to use it for sleep. And I would emphasize that a nursing pillow is for nursing or awake tummy time eventually, but not for sleep. Not only am I suggesting these things from a sheer safety perspective, but these products really create a very difficult crutch. If you spend enough time on Instagram or Pinterest, maybe you check out some influencers on YouTube, you may notice something 
Have you ever seen a nursery waiting for a baby to arrive and the daca tots already inside the crib despite the recommendation not to use it for sleep? Maybe I'm honing in on this as a sleep consultant, but there might as well be a big fat blinking neon sign flashing above it that says future disaster. It signals a complete lack of trust in ourselves and in our babies that sleeping safely is possible. I want you to know that I am really empathetic here. I get that looking down at that crib with nothing in it can seem big and cold and downright uncomfortable. It can seem like after nine months in a warm and snug womb, that it's necessary to put the baby in something like this, something a bit cozier that can ensure they'll sleep better and make us feel better in the meantime. The thing is, it might work for a time, but believe me when I say that you are much better off swaddling your newborn and making them feel secure in that way in their crib. This is a safe way to recreate that snug feeling those first eight weeks of life. And I, for one, am not here to offer you short-term unsafe solutions. I want to help you get better sleep today, tomorrow, the day after that, and the day after that. Believe it or not, if you can practice putting your baby down in the crib often from day one, you will be so glad you did. But... If you have been using these products already and you're getting a little bit nervous at my advice, I want to assure you that it's not too late. It's not too late to make the switch here. I'm not saying to literally run over to your crib and, and snatch these things out right this second, but it is something that we want to be very cognizant of and we want to work towards removing if this is something that you have already introduced Fortunately, babies are resilient and they will adjust with enough patience and consistency. But as I said, if we don't introduce these things to them to begin with, then we're much better off. Also often hear people say things like, well, my baby won't sleep any other way. Well, let's not introduce it to them to begin with to even develop the habit. So I do hope this has provided you with some insight into what may help when you're thinking about sleep training. You can find me on Instagram using the handle at SweetSafeSleep or on the web at www.SweetSafeSleep.com. If you would like one-on-one support, that option is always available to you. And I hope to see you here next time. Until then, I'll be wishing you all a sweet, safe sleep.